Welcome to the third episode of the Story Time series. We are reading the book Bear Town by Frederick Bachman. 6. Amit leaves the ring with every scrap of fabric on his body transparent with sweat. From the top row of the stands, Sune watches him go. The boy is lucky. He didn't notice the A-team coach sitting there. If he had, his nerves would have sent him driving headfirst on the ice. Sune remains seated after Amit's gone. He's been old for a long time. but is really feeling it today there are two things that are particularly good at reminding us how old we are children and sports in hockey you're an experienced player at 25 a veteran at 30 and pensioned off at 35 sune is twice that and with age he has become shorter and broader he's got more face to wash and less hair to comb and finds himself getting annoyed by narrow chairs and poor quality zippers But when the door closes behind Amit, the old man can still smell cherry blossom in his nostrils. Fifteen years old, bloody hell! What a future! Sune is ashamed of the fact that he's only just noticed him. The boy has clearly developed in an explosive fashion recently, while everyone else has had their eyes on the junior team. But a few years ago, Sune would have never missed a talent like that. He can't blame it all on his old eyes. He's got an old heart as well. He knows he won't be here long enough to get the chance to coach the boy, but he hopes no one ruins his talent by cutting him down or by letting him grow too quickly. But he knows there's no point wishing for anything like that because when all the others realize how good this boy is, they'll want to start squeezing results out of him immediately. The club needs that. The town demands that. Sune has had this. argument with the board time and time again over the years and he always loses it would take days to recount the long version of why sune is mm. being fired from beartown ice hockey club but the short version is only two words long kevin ardl the sponsors the board and the club's president have all demanded that sune let the 17 year old vudarkind play in the a team and sune has refused in his world it takes more than hormones to turn boys into men Senior hockey requires maturity just as much as it does talent and he's seen more players crushed by opportunities proffered too early than too late but no one's listening anymore the people of beartown are proud of being bad losers sune knows that he himself bears much of the blame for that he's the one who imprinted the words club comes first into every player and coach since his first day here the good of the club must always come first never anyone's ego They're using that against him now. He could have saved his job by letting Kevin play in the A team, and he wishes he was certain he's done the right thing. But he genuinely doesn't know any longer. Maybe the board and the sponsors are right. Maybe he's just a stubborn old goat who's lost his grip. David is at home, lying on his kitchen floor. He's thirty-two years old, and his red hair is so unruly it looks like it's trying to escape from his head. He got teased about it when he was little. The other kids pretended to burn themselves on him in class. That was where he learned to fight. He didn't have any friends, which was why he was able to devote all his time to hockey. He never bothered to acquire any other interests, which is how he's managed to become the best. Sweat is dripping on the floor as he frantically performs push-ups under the kitchen table. His computer is on the top of it. He's been watching videos of old matches and training sessions all night. Being junior team coach for Beartown Ice Hockey makes him a simple man to understand and an impossible man to live with. When his girlfriend gets annoyed, 
she usually tells him he's the sort of man who could take offense in an empty room could be true his face looks like he's walking into a headwind he's always been told that he's too serious that's why hockey suits him so well no one on a hockey team thinks it's possible to take hockey too seriously the match tomorrow is the most important in david's life as well as the juniors a more philosophically inclined coach might tell them that those could be their last 60 minutes on the ice as children because most of them will be turning 18 this year then they'll be grown men and seniors but david isn't philosophical so he'll just say his usual single word to them win he doesn't have the best players in the country far from it but they are the most disciplined and have received the best tactical training they've been playing together all their lives and they've got kevin they rarely play beautifully david believes in detailed strategy and a solid defense but above all he believes in results even when the board and parents kept going on about letting the players lose and trying to play more enjoyable hockey david doesn't even know what enjoyable hockey is he only knows one sort of hockey that isn't enjoyable the one where the opposite team scores more points he's never let anyone else influence him he's never given a place on the team to the son of a marketing manager at one of the big sponsors like he's been told to he's uncompromising he knows that's not going to make him any friends but he doesn't care do you want to be liked it's easy just get yourself on the top of the podium so david does whatever it takes to get up there that's why he doesn't see his team the same way everyone else does because even if kevin is the best player he isn't always the most important the computer on the kitchen table is showing a game from earlier in the season when an opposing player sets off after kevin with the obvious intention of tackling him from behind but the next moment is himself lying flat on the ice another bear down player number 16 is standing over him already missing his gloves and helmet a torrent of punches rain down on the opposing player kevin might be the star but benjamin ovich is the heart of the team because benji is like david he's prepared to do whatever it takes so ever since he was small the coach has drummed one single idea into him don't pay any attention to what people say benji they'll like us well enough when we start winning he is 17 years old and his mom wakes him early by saying his full name she is about the only person who uses it benjamin nearly everyone else calls him benji He stays in bed in the smallest room in the last terraced house at the far end of Beartown just before the start of the hollows until she comes in for the third or fourth time when words from her homeland creep into her exhortations he gets up because that's when it gets serious his mom and benji's three older sisters only slip into the old language when they want to express great anger or eternal love mm. and this country simply doesn't have sufficiently flexible grammar to express which good for nothing part of the laziest useless donkey benji might be or how they love him as deeply as 10000 wells full of gold his mum can get both elements into the same sentence it's a remarkable language in that sense she watches him as he cycles off she hates having to force him out of bed before the sun has risen but she knows that if she goes to work without driving her son out of the house He wouldn't leave it at all. He's a single mother with three daughters, but it's the 17-year-old boy who worries her more than anything. A boy who cares too little about the future and frets too much about the past. Nothing could depress a mother more. Her little Benjamin, the fighter with whom it's far too easy for the girls of Beartown to fall in love. The boy with the most handsome face, the saddest eyes, and the wildest heart they've ever seen. His mum knows 
because she married a man who looked just the same and nothing but trouble lies ahead for men like that david is making coffee in his kitchen he always brews an extra pot each morning and fills a thermos the coffee at the rink is so bad you ought to be able to charge someone for assault just for offering it to you his computer is playing another match from last year in which kevin is being pursued by a furious defender until benji appears at full speed out of nowhere and hits the defender on the back of the neck with his stick sending him flying head first into the opposing team's bench half the team storms on the ice to get revenge on benji who is standing there waiting for them without his helmet fists clenched it takes the referee's 10 minutes to get the fight under control in the meantime kevin has gone to sit down quietly on his own bench unharmed and untroubled some people try to make excuses for benji's temperament by blaming his tough childhood the fact that his dad died when he was young david never does that he loves benji's temperament other people call him a problem child but all the characteristics that make him a problem off the ice are what makes him so special on it if you send him into a brawl it doesn't matter if serpents trolls and all the monsters of hell are in the way benji always comes out with the puck if anyone gets anywhere near kevin he'll fight through concrete to place himself in the way and that sort of thing can't be taught everyone knows how good kevin is every youth team coach on each of the top clubs in the country has tried to recruit him and that also means that every team they play contains at least one psycho who wants to hurt him so david doesn't accept it when people say that benji ends up fighting in every match he's not fighting he's protecting the most important investment the town has ever seen but david has stopped using that particular word in front of his girlfriend investment because as she puts it is that really any way to talk about a 17 year old david has learned not to try to explain it either you understand that aspect of hockey or you don't on the road that links the terraced houses to the rest of the town benji stops his bicycle at the point where his mother can no longer see him and lights a joint he lets the smoke fill him feels the sweet calmness rise and fall his long thick hair stiffens in the wind but the cold has never bothered him he cycles everywhere no matter what time of year it is david often comments him on his calf muscles and sense of balance in front of the other players benji never replies because he suspects that saying that's what you get if you ride a bike through deep snow every day when you're high as a kite isn't the answer the coach wants to hear on his way back to his best friend's house he passes through the whole of bear town the factory that's still the largest employer in the town but which has effectivized its personnel 3 years in a row now a fancy way of saying that people have been laid off the big supermarket that has closed down its smaller competitors a street full of stores in varying states of disrepair and an industrial area that is just getting quieter and quieter the sports store which has one section for hunting and fishing and another for hockey but very little else worth mentioning a little farther out is the pub the beer skin frequented by the sort of men who make it such an excellent destination for any curious tourist eager to find out what it's like to get beaten up by the locals towards the forest off to the west is a garage and further in amongst the trees the kennels that benji's eldest sister runs she raises two types of dogs hunting dogs and guard dogs no one around here wants dogs for pets anymore there's not much to love about this place apart from hockey but on the other hand benji hasn't loved much else in his life he inhales the smoke the other guys keep warning him he'll get kicked off the team if david finds out he smokes weed but benji laughs secure in the knowledge that would never happen not because benji is too good to be thrown off the team 
डेफिनेटली नॉट बट बिकॉज केविन इज टू गुड केविन इज द ज्वेल पेंजी द इंश्योरेंस पॉलिसी सोने लुक्स अप एट द रूफ ऑफ द रिंक वन लास्ट टाइम एट द फ्लैग्स एंड जर्जीज हैंगिंग वेयर मेमोरीज ऑफ मैन सोन नो वन विल बी ओल्ड इनफ टू रिमेम्बर अलॉन्ग साइड दैम हैंग्स अ शैबी बैनर बेयरिंग वॉट यूज टू बी द क्लब्स मोटो कल्चर वैल्यूज कम्युनिटी हेल्प हैंग इट देयर but he is no longer sure what it means sometimes he is not sure if he knew back then either culture is an odd word to use about hockey everyone says it but no one can explain what it means all organizations like to boast that they are building a culture but when it comes down to it everyone really only cares about one sort the culture of winning sune is well aware that the same thing applies the world over but perhaps it's more noticeable in a small community we love winners even though they are very rarely particularly likable people they are almost always obsessive and selfish and inconsiderate that doesn't matter we forgive them we like them while they are winning the old man stands up and makes his way towards his office with his back cracking and heart hardened the door closes behind him his personal belongings are already packed in a small box that's tucked under the desk he won't make a scene when he gets fired won't speak to the press he's just going to disappear that's how he was brought up and that's how he's brought others up the team comes first at home in his kitchen david does his last push-ups then he showers get dressed packs his case and grabs his car keys to drive to the rink and start work but the very last thing the 32 year old coach does before leaving the house is put the coffee down on the little table behind the door and run into the bathroom there he locks the door and turns the tap on in both the sink and the bathtub so that his girlfriend won't hear him throwing up all kinds of things big and small can make you love being a part of a team when kevin was at primary school he went with his dad to the christmas market in head his dad had a meeting so kevin went around on his own looking at the displays and stalls he got lost and was 5 minutes late getting back to the car and his dad had already left kevin had to walk all the way back to bear town on his own in the dark the snow drifts by the side of the road reached his thigh and it took him half the night to get home he staggered wet and exhausted into the silent house his parents were already asleep his dad wanted to teach him the importance of being punctual 6 months later the hockey team was playing in a tournament in another town The rink was the biggest the boys had ever seen and on the way to the bus Kevin got lost. The older brothers of 3 of the players in a team Kevin had humiliated a couple of hours earlier found him, dragged him into a washroom and beat him up. Kevin will never forget the look of astonishment on their faces when another primary school kid showed up and took on all 3 of them in a storm of kicks and punches. Benji and Kevin were both covered with blood and bruises when they arrived at the bus more than 45 minutes late. David was standing there waiting. He had told the rest of the team to leave without him. He'd catch the train with Benji and Kevin when they showed up. But every player on the team had refused to get on the bus. They weren't old enough to know their multiplication tables, but they knew that a team didn't mean anything if you couldn't depend on each other. That's both a big and a small thing. knowing that there are people who will never abandon you Kevin and Benji are alone when they enter the school but exert a magnetic pull as they move along the corridor 
Bobo and the other juniors flock around them instantly and within 10 paces they have become a group of 12 people. Kevin and Benji don't think it odd. The way you don't if something's been going on your whole life. It's impossible to say what it is that catches Kevin's attention. Because the day before a game, there's usually nothing on the planet that can distract him. But as he passes a row of lockers, his eyes meet hers. He stumbles into Benji. Benji swears at him. Kevin doesn't hear. Maya has just put her bag in her locker and when she turns around and Kevin's eyes meet hers, she closes the locker door so quickly she nips her hand. It's over in a moment. The corridor fills with bodies and Kevin disappears in the crowd. But the friends you have when you're 15 years old obviously aren't going to miss a little thing like that. So, are you interested in hockey all of a sudden now? Anna teases. Embarrassed, Maya rubs her hand. Shut up, what the... Then her face breaks into a brief smile. Just because you don't like peanut butter doesn't necessarily mean you can't like... Uh, peanuts? Anna laughs so hard, she ends up spraying the inside of her locker with smoothie. Okay, fine. But if you do talk to Kevin, the least you can do is introduce me to Benji, yeah? He is... Mm, I could eat him all up. Like uh, butter. Maya's brow furrows with disgust. Then she pulls the key from her locker and starts to walk off. Anna watches her and throws her arms out. What? So you are allowed to say things like that, but not me. You know he doesn't come up with those jokes himself, don't you? He's not smart enough. He nicks them from the internet, Zacharias mutters, humiliated as he shakes the snow from his clothes. Leafa picks up his cap and brushes the snow off it. Amit holds his hand out in an attempt to calm his friends down. I know you hate Bobo, but next year we'll be juniors. It'll be better then. Zacharias doesn't reply. Leafa flashes him a look, somewhere between anger and resignation. Leafa stopped playing hockey when they were younger. He kept being told he had to be able to handle the banter in the locker room, which turned out to be a very useful argument because when Leafa gave up, everyone could blame that. It was his problem, not hockey's. If Zacharias' parents hadn't loved the game as much as they did, he wouldn't have carried on playing either. And if Ahmed hadn't been so good, even he might not be able to summon up the enthusiasm to keep playing. It'll be better when we are juniors, Ahmed repeats. Zacharias says nothing. He knows very well that he won't get a place on the junior team and that this is his last year playing hockey. Ahmed is the only person who hasn't yet realized that he is about to leave his best friends behind. The silence doesn't bother Amit, who opens the door and turns a corner in the corridor, after which he can only hear a muffled rumble in the air. She gives him tunnel vision. He exclaims a little too loudly. She turns around fleetingly, notes his presence, but nothing more than that. When you're 15 years old, no look can hurt you more. Hi, Amit. She replies distractedly and is gone before she even gets to the end of his name. Amit stands there, trying not to look at Zacharias and Leafa. Knowing they won't be making much effort not to laugh. Hi, Maya! Zacharias mimics as Leafa giggles. Fuck off, Zach! Amit mutters. Sorry, sorry, but you've been doing this since primary school. And I was nice to you for the first eight years you were in love with her. 
So now I think I've earned the right to make fun of you. Ahmed walks towards his locker, his heart sinking in his chest like a lead weight. He loves that girl more than he loves skating. Eight. It's only a game. It only resolves tiny, insignificant things, such as who gets validation, who gets listened to. It allocates power and draws boundaries and turns some people into stars and others into spectators. That's all. David enters the rink and goes straight to his office, the smallest one at the end of the corridor. He closes the door, switches his computer on, and studies videos of tomorrow's opponents. They are a brilliant team. an imposing machine and player for player only kevin really matches up against them it's going to take an immense effort for the team to stand any chance at all but david knows that they do at least have a chance and that every single one of his players will work themselves to death out there on the ice if need be that isn't what's making him feel sick it's what he's missing from the team speed for several years the junior team's first line has consisted of kevin benji and a third player called william lit Kevin is a genius and Benji is a fighter but William is slow. He's big and strong and not bad at passing so David has managed to find tactical solutions to hide his shortcomings when they've been playing less impressive teams. But the team they're about to face is good enough to shut Kevin down unless there's someone else who's quick enough to create space for him. David rubs his temples, looks at his reflection in the computer screen. His red hair and exhausted eyes He gets up and goes out to the bathroom and throws up again. In a larger office two doors away, Sunay is sitting at his computer. He's watching the same clips as David over and over again. Once upon a time, the two men always looked at events out on the ice the same way, thought the same thought about everything. But as the years passed, David grew older and more ambitious while Sunay became old and stubborn. When David claims that fights ought to be permitted out on the ice because there there'd be fewer injuries if the guys knew they'd get beaten up for bad play. Retorts. That's like saying there'd be fewer road accidents if you banned car insurance because people would take better care of their cars. When David wants to increase the load on the juniors, Sunay talks about quality over quantity. If David says up, Sunay yells down. When some of the other sport associations recently proposed that little league games should no longer keep a tally of goals and points, and not have league tables until the age of twelve, Sunay thought it sounded sensible, while David denounced it as communism. David thinks Sunay should let him do his job. Sunay thinks David has misunderstood what his job actually is. The two men are stuck in their own trenches, buried too deep even to see each other anymore. Sunay leans back, rubs his eyes and hears his chair creak under his weight as he lets out a sigh. He feels like explaining to David just how lonely the job of an A-team coach can be, how numbingly heavy the responsibility gets, how you need to be ready to see the bigger picture, adapt change but david's young not ready to listen and understand sune closes his eyes and swears at himself because isn't he just the same one of the hardest things about getting old is admitting mistakes that it's too late to put right the worst thing about having power over other people's life is that you sometimes get some things wrong sune has always refused to move young players to older age groups the old man believes in the principle that players should develop alongside their peers that being given opportunities too early stifles talent but as he sits alone in his office watching these videos he has to admit that he sees the same thing as david right now something that hardly anyone else understands without a bit of pace the junior team is going to die a death tomorrow so even sune finds himself wondering what are principles worth if you don't win
Beartown is just small enough for everyone to recognize almost everyone else, but just big enough to be full of people that no one really notices. Robbie Holtz is a few years past 40. His beard has started to turn grey. He scratches it and pulls the collar of his old camouflage jacket tight around his neck. When the winds blow off the lake at this time of year, it feels like your face is being torn by ghosts. He's walking along the other side of the street, pretending to have important things to do, convincing himself that no one who sees him will realize that he's waiting for the pub, the bare skin, to open. He can see the roof of the rink from here. Like everyone else, the junior team's game tomorrow is all he's talked about every waking hour since they won the quarterfinal. It's just that he no longer has many people to talk to anymore. Not since the factory got rid of him along with nine other guys. There's a good chance no one was interested in what he was saying before either, but that's only dawned on him recently. He looks at the time, another hour before the bearskin opens. He pretends it's no big deal, keeps his hand in his pockets when he goes into the supermarket so no one will see them shaking. He fills his basket with things he doesn't need and can't afford and puts the low-strength beer, the only sort the supermarket is allowed to sell, in last to make it look like an impulse buy. This, oh, it might be useful to have a few beers at home, just in case. He asks if he can use the bathroom in the little hardware store, downs the beers, goes out and chats to the sales assistant and buys a few very specific screws that he makes very clear he needs for an item of furniture that doesn't exist. He goes back out on the street, sees the roof of the rink again. Once upon a time, he, Robbie Holtz, was king there. Once upon a time, he showed more promise than Kevin Ardell does now. Once upon a time, he was better than Peter Anderson. Peter turns the car around in the car park, pulls out on the road, drums his finger on the wheel. Now that the children have gone, he becomes aware of his pulse again. It's only a junior team game. Only a game, a game. He keeps repeating the mantra, but his nerves are eating him up. His lungs seem to be drawing in oxygen through his eye sockets. Hockey is a simple sport. When your desire to win is stronger than your fear of losing, you have a chance. No one wins when they are frightened. He hopes the juniors are too young to feel fear tomorrow. Too naive to understand how much is at stake. Because a hockey crowd knows no nuances. Only heaven or hell. Seen from the stands, you're either a genius or utterly worthless. Never anything in between. An offside is never a matter for doubt. Every check is either perfectly clean or deserves a lifetime ban. When Peter was 20 and team captain and arrived back in Beartown, all, after almost winning the final of the top league of the country, he was met by his dad's voice from the kitchen. Almost? For Christ's sake, you can't almost get on a boat. You're either on the boat or in the water. And when all the other buggers are in the water as well, no one gives a shit that you were the last one to end up there. When Peter got his contract with the NHL and was about to move to Canada, his dad told him in no uncertain terms not to think he was anything special. It's possible that the old man meant it more gently than it came out, that he intended to say that humility and hard work would take the boy just as far over there as they had here. It's possible that drink made his words sharper. It's possible that Peter didn't mean to slam the door quite as hard as he did. It doesn't matter now. A young man left Beartown in silence. And when he came home again, it was too late for words. You can't look a gravestone in the eye and ask its forgiveness. Peter remembers walking alone down all the small streets where, where he grew up and realizing that people he had known his whole life looked at him differently now. 
He remembers how they would suddenly stop talking when he walked in the room. He was relieved when that paused, when they stopped seeing him as a star and started to see him as general manager. Then, as the club went on tumbling down through the divisions, the people told the GM what they really thought. He discovered that that part of him wished they still saw him as a star, because a hockey crowd knows no nuances, only heaven or hell. So why does he carry on? Because he's never considered any alternatives. It's hard for a lot of people to remember the reasons why they started to love the things they love, but it's easy for Peter. The greatest reason for his love of hockey, from the very first moment he stood on a pair of skates, was the silence. Everything outside the rink, the cold and the darkness, and the fact that his mum was ill and his dad would be drunk again when he got home. It all went quiet inside his head when he stepped onto the ice. He was four years old that first time, but hockey told him straight away that it was going to demand complete devotion from him. He loved it for that, and still does. A man who is the same age as Peter but looks fifteen years older sees Peter's car pass through the town. He pulls his camouflage jacket more tightly around him and scratches his beard. When they were seventeen years old, they were only. There was only one person in the whole of Beartown who thought Peter was more talented than Robbie when it came to hockey. Talent is like letting two balloons up in the air. The most interesting thing isn't watching which one climbs fastest, but which one has the longest string. That old bastard Sune used to say. He was right, of course. The board and the sponsors forced him to move Robbie up in the A team, even though the coach insisted that the boy wasn't ready mentally. Robbie kept getting hammered with hard checks, got injured, got scared, and spent the rest of the season hitting the puck into boards rather than risk a fight. The first time the crowd booed him, he went home and cried. The second time he went home and got drunk. When he turned eighteen, he was worse than he had been when he was seventeen. While Peter was better than anything this town had ever seen. When Peter was offered the chance to move to the A team, he was ready. Robbie started to doubt himself every time he stepped on the ice. While nothing scared Peter, he went off to the NHL the same year Robbie started work at the factory. There are no almosts in hockey. One player achieved his dreams, while the other now finds himself stamping his feet in the snow until the pub door finally opens. A short flight of stairs leads down to the bar, five steps. From down there, you can't see the roof of the rink. Sune hears David leave his office. He waits until the bathroom door opens and closes. Then the old man writes four words on a yellow post-it note and stands up. He goes into David's office and sticks it on the screen of his computer. Sune isn't a religious man, but at that moment he prays to all the powers he can think of that he is not making a mistake, that those four words aren't going to wreck another young boy's life. For a moment, he thinks about waiting until David comes back, then looking him in the eye and telling him the truth as he sees it. I hope you never stop arguing, David. I hope you never stop telling us to go to hell. That's how you've made it to the top. But he goes back to his own office instead and closes the door. Sport creates complicated men, proud enough to refuse to admit their mistakes, but humble enough always to put their team first. When David gets back from the bathroom, he reads the four words on a post-it note stuck to his computer monitor: "Amit, boys' team, fast." It's only a game. It can only change people's lives. Thanks for sticking to the end. To be continued very soon. 
इवन इफ इट्स नॉट अ गुड डे आई होप इट्स टॉलरेबल इनफ टेक केयर यू